Our scripture reading is from Proverbs 3, 1 through 8. This is found on page 528 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that home as a gift from us. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Well, good morning and welcome uh, to the Brookside campus. My name is Bill Gorman and I get to serve here as one of the pastors. And it's such a joy to have you here with us this morning as we continue in our series that we began last week uh, in Proverbs. Would love to start our time of looking at this passage by praying and asking that God would open our hearts, our minds, to understand what He is uniquely calling us to, to learn from this text this morning. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you that you speak in your word, that you have spoken in your word, that by the power of your Holy Spirit you continue to speak to us through your word. And we pray now that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do we keep getting wiser? How do we grow in wisdom? Uh, I think we all want to do that. I think we all want to grow in wisdom. We want to make better decisions. Uh, I suspect that most of us uh, wouldn't say that we've got it all figured out, that we've arrived somehow in, in making decisions and making uh, wise choices. But how do we actually go about learning to grow in wisdom? How do, what is that process actually look like. And I was struck this week how differently Proverbs answers that question from how uh, our, our broader culture so often answers that question. Um, and, and the tension is this, how, do, you, do you grow in wisdom by looking inside of yourself? Or do you grow in wisdom by looking outside of yourself? And, and the passage that we just heard read this morning from Proverbs chapter 3 really points us to you, you need to look outside of yourself if you want to continue to grow in wisdom. But the, the message that we so often hear in the culture around us is that actually the, the way to your, your truest self, to the, the good life, to the wise life, is actually to, to look inward. Uh, and I, I think... Um, we, we often want to say, well, you need to look inside to find wisdom. And I think a great articulation of this, a, a great cultural message that um, captures this is the new Coke commercials. I don't know, the Diet Coke commercials. I don't know if you've seen these. Take a look at this one. Thanks. Here's the deal. I like Diet Coke. It's super good. And now they have new flavors like Feisty Cherry. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm totally into this. Just like how I'm into getting a haircut and then waiting for people to ask, did you get a haircut? Oh, maybe you're into friends who leave voicemails? I know I am. Look, whatever you're into, you're into. Keep being into it, and I'll continue to be into Diet Coke, because I can. Mm. Good, no? Now that you all want a Diet Coke. Um, but whatever you're into, keep being into it, because you can. Uh, that's the message that so often we just we hear in different ways in music and film and, and our conversations. It's often the message that our, our heart tells us, keep being into what you're into because you can. 
But is that actually the path to the good life? Is that actually the way to wisdom? And we're, we're back this week for our second week in the series uh, that we were calling Restart Smart in the fall. is, is a great time for a restart to reset in our lives. Um, seasons are changing. It felt like fall really arrived in full force this weekend, which was wonderful. Um, if you're a teacher or a student, um, if you're a family that has school-aged kids or students, you need, this is also a time when a lot of rhythms are changing. You're entering back into fall rhythms of classes and extracurricular activities. It's a great time to start or reestablish new patterns, new routines, and new rhythms. And we want to we wanna do that, in, and we want to do that smart. We want to restart this fall, and we want to restart it in a smart kind of way. And we're looking at the Old Testament book of Proverbs to do that. Um, Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. There's kind of three main books that make up the wisdom literature of, of the Old Testament. You have Proverbs as well as then the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. Taken together, those three give you sort of a biblical portrait of, of what wisdom is all about. And, and last week we said that wisdom is the skill of living well in God's world. That wisdom is the skill of living well in God's world. And we saw last week that wisdom begins with fearing the Lord. So we saw in chapter one that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we pointed out that this fear that the Proverbs talks about isn't being terrified of God, but rather standing in awe of him and taking a posture of humility that, that honors the boundaries of his design. So that's where wisdom starts. It starts with a posture of, of fear, of awe, and if you missed that message last week, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to it, not just so you can get a grasp of the kind of the fear uh, aspect and, and the unique ways that the Bible talks about that, but also um, there's a, a lot in there on how do you just read the book of Proverbs well? Because it's, uh, it's its own unique kind of literature. How do we read it well? So you can find that if you, whatever your favorite podcast app is, just search for Christ Community Brookside. You'll find that. You can subscribe. All of our sermons are posted there. Um, and you can listen to those. So last week, a posture of fear. This week, if we want to grow in wisdom, we need a practice of trust. So wisdom begins with a, a posture of fear, but it, it grows in a posture of trust. And what we're going to see is that wisdom is a lot more about who you trust than what you know. Wisdom is a lot more about who you trust than what you know. And the first thing that we see in this passage is that those who keep getting wiser don't trust their hearts. Those who keep getting wiser don't trust their hearts. And this language of heart comes up a number of times in the passage we're looking at this morning. The verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are, are set up as a series of speeches from a father to a son. That's why you get this my son language. And Proverbs chapter 3 is the third of those father-son speeches. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That little word heart occurs 80 times, almost, in the book of Proverbs. Nearly 80 times in this one book of the Bible, the word heart. If you just do a simple word search for the word heart in your English Bible, it's going to come up over uh, 900 times. 
This idea of the heart is a really key theme in the Bible. But when the Bible uses this language of heart, what's, what's tricky is we have to ask, what is it really talking about? Because the, the, the ancient kind of Hebrew idea of the heart doesn't quite exactly overlap with what we sometimes think of when we use that word heart in English. So when the Bible talks about the heart, there's really sort of four main aspects involved. And some of them overlap with our English word, but some of them are a little bit different. So first, uh, and this is the same in English and the ancient Hebrew mind, the, the heart can just refer to that, that physical organ in your chest that pumps your blood. So the, the Hebrew uh, mindset had that idea of, of this, it's, a, it's an organ in your body that pumps your blood, that keeps you alive. There's actually a mention of a heart attack in 1 Samuel 25. So the, there's that sense. Um, but this is a, a, a piece where it's a little bit different. So the ancient Hebrew mindset, the heart was also where you think, where you know. It's where your intellectual activity takes place. Uh, they didn't have a word for, for brain. The uh, process of thinking that we so connect with the mind, the brain for them was connected with this idea of the heart. So third, and this is still how we often use the English word for heart, is, is this is a place of emotions. It's the place where we fear, where we love, experience joy, excitement. And then fourth, the heart is also the place where we, we long, we desire. It's the place where our desires are directed. And this is why the Bible in so many places offers such strong warnings about our hearts because our longings, our desires, more than anything else, shape and direct us. As a middle school kid, my longing to collect Star Wars action figures um, directed massive amount of my time as well as uh, almost all of my meager uh, financial resources at a, as a middle school student. It's why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. So when you read this language of heart in, in this passage in Proverbs chapter 3 or elsewhere in the Bible, don't just think merely of the organ in your uh, chest, or don't just think of, of where you feel, but think about your, your decision-making, your mind, your thoughts, your desires, your longings. That's your heart. Okay, so why then... Why then do those who keep getting wiser not trust their heart? Why is it that the wise don't trust their heart? Well, we'll look back at verse 1. This father says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Don't forget, he says. The wise know that their heart is forgetful that their heart desires all kinds of things that will not lead to length of days and peace. That's the, what the father goes on to talk about in verse 2, not length of days and peace, but will lead us into all kinds of disaster and pain and heartache. Our hearts don't always desire what is best for us. As one pastor put it, what the heart wants, the mind finds justifiable and the hands find doable. What the heart wants, the mind finds justifiable and the hands find doable. Or as my grandfather uh, told my dad, who then told me, um, you can justify anything. 
you can justify anything. I remember my dad saying that. He's like, my, you know, it was kind of my own father-son speech. He said, son, you know, when I was, uh, you know, 20-something years old, I went out and bought a Firebird car, and I made all these reasons why this was the sports car I needed. And I just remember my dad saying to me, you can justify anything. It was when I was desiring to buy this really expensive computer. Clearly, my dad was way cooler than me. He got a sports car. I just wanted a computer. But he just said, you can justify anything. What our hearts desire, our minds can justify and our hands can find doable. You can justify anything. And I think instinctively we know deep down that we can't trust our hearts, that we, always, we can't always trust our desires, that, that we can't trust what we want. But sometimes it's only, we only see that in, in retrospect. So, so think about it. Would you want your 12 or 13-year-old self making decisions for your life right now. I mean, my 11-year-old self was, was spending all kinds of money and time on Star Wars action figures. I don't, I don't want that guy running my checking account now. Or if you're in your 50s, would you want your 25-year-old your self running your life today, making decisions for you? Do you get the point, though? It's always us, though. But it's only with, with hindsight. It's only when we get uh, five or ten or twenty years out that we see with clarity we don't always make the best decisions for ourselves. We don't get it all wrong, of course. But when we look back with the clarity of time, we can see, man, I, I didn't always make the best decisions, knowing what I know now. Or think about it this way, when you were a kid, uh, or, or maybe you're here this morning and you are a kid, who has your best interest in mind most often? You or your parents? I mean, Lucy, Graham, Isla are three kids. We have, we have three kids now. Um, they think they know what's best for them. And, and sometimes they do. But most often, especially when it comes to the long term of their lives, Rachel and I usually actually have their, their best interests in mind, not them. And what if we never outgrew that? What if we never outgrew that? What if we still need coaches, bosses, people who are older than us, who've walked life longer to help us know what's really in our best interest? What if we ultimately needed a creator who knows more than we do and has our true best in mind? The, the father speaks to his son in this passage and pleads with him, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Are you still leaning on your own wisdom? Are you still leaning on your own understanding? Any recovering addict will tell you that you can't really deal with the addiction until you hit rock bottom. They will tell you that someone reaches that point of, of hitting rock bottom, that they won't really make any progress. Have you gotten there? Have you gotten there when it comes to your own wisdom, your own understanding? Have you reached rock bottom with leaning on your own wisdom? Those who continue to grow in wisdom know they can't trust their own heart. 
They, they know they can't lean on their own understanding. They know they can't be wise in their own eyes. So instead, those who keep growing in wisdom don't trust in their own heart. Rather, they trust in God with all of their heart. Those who keep growing in wisdom trust in God with all of their heart. This is the core of this passage this morning, that we don't trust our own understanding. We don't lean on our own wisdom, but rather we trust in God with all of our heart. And verses 5 and 6 are some of the most familiar verses in the Bible. If you've grown up at all around the church or reading the Bible, you've probably heard Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 before somewhere. They're the kind of verses that, that end up on, on coffee mugs and stitched onto pillows. And, which, by the way, not every verse in the Bible is like that. Uh, so if you, I mean, I don't know if you, Proverbs 12.1, I don't know if you know that one. But whoever loves discipline uh, loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Uh, haven't seen that one on a lot of coffee mugs. Uh, haven't seen it cross-stitched onto a lot of pillows. Um, some of those verses are a little less, less familiar. Um, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are some of those really familiar verses. And so this morning, uh, we heard them read, and we probably have even skipped over them a little bit because we just they're so familiar for so many of us. But I want to read them afresh for us in the message paraphrase just to help us hear them again. So listen to how Eugene Peterson brings these verses across. He says this, Trust in God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Trust in God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Listen for God's voice in in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who's going to keep you on track. You see, at the core of these verses is an incredible invitation. It's an invitation to know God. We're invited to know him. Indeed, we're commanded to know him. And he wants to know you. Uh, Remember, wisdom is not so much about what you know. It's about who you're trusting in. Are you trusting yourself? Are you leaning on your own understanding? Who are you trusting in? See, God doesn't just give us an instruction manual for life and say, here, follow these rules. That's not what the Bible is, ultimately. He gives us himself. The whole Bible is is a story of of us being reunited in relationship with God. It's about knowing him. Uh, That's the call in verse 5. Trust him. Know him. God doesn't just offer you information. He offers you himself. He wants you to know him. Wisdom is not a a download. It's a direction. It's a path. It's a, a journey we're on with someone. Think about two classic movies and two very different ways of depicting how you learn the martial arts. So the two movies, right, the two classic movies, The Matrix and The Karate Kid. Think about The Matrix if, you, if you've seen it. Neo, the character, how does he learn kung fu? Well, he gets that like creepy needle thing in the back of his neck and he like downloads it from a computer and his eyes move, they're closed, he opens up, he's like, I know kung fu. That's my best Keanu Reeves impersonation. It kind of drifts into Nick Cage, I think, a little bit. But uh, he just wakes up, I know Kung Fu. But think about, on the other hand, the Karate Kid, right? It's so different. It's not a download. 
It's in the driveway, Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off, this relationship, this, this training, these things that don't always make sense. A biblical picture of wisdom is a lot more like the karate kid than the matrix. Wisdom is not a download. It's someone to know, someone who wants to walk this life with you. In the first part of verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Uh, you, you could literally translate that, in all your ways, know him. In everything you do in life, know God. He is our audience of one. He invites us to do life with him, to walk before him, to, to know him in all we do. As Eugene Peterson says, to, to listen to his voice in everything we do and everywhere we go. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. And in a moment, we're going to look at some practical ways of how tomorrow morning can I actually do that. But I just want to say here, if you take God at his word, if you believe him, trust in him with all his heart, yes, you're going to struggle. There's going to be times of hardship. Yes, you're going to face difficulty. Yes, there may be seasons even when God seems distant and far away and you may not understand what he's doing. But, but in the end, if you trust in him with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, he will not disappoint you. Because who is the God that we're invited to trust here? Who is the God that, that the Father says to the child, trust in him with all of your heart? Who is this person? Who is the Lord who we're called to trust in with all of our heart? Well, he's none other than the one who spoke creation, the universe, into being. Who designed it to, in all of its beauty and wonder. The one who, when we rebelled against him, set a plan in motion to rescue us. He's the one who promised a childless old couple, Abraham and Sarah, that he would give them not only one child, but a great nation would come to this, this couple that has never been able to have kids. He's the one that when he kept that promise and built a great nation, but when his people ended up enslaved in Egypt, brought them out, he raised up Moses, carried them through the Red Sea, defeated Egypt. He's the one who led that people into the promised land, who caused the walls of, of Jericho to fall down. He's the one who forgave King David when he committed adultery and murder. He's the one who, who keeps his promises even when his people continued to break their promises over and over again. He's the one who brought his people back from exile in Babylon, who protected them from wicked men who plotted their destruction in Persia. He's the one who became a baby, who became human, who exposed himself to every temptation that we ever face, the one who made us come to live with us. He's the one who fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. He's the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. He's the one who gave himself over to death, even death on a cross for you and for me. He's the one who rose on the third day. He's the one who, who promised to return and restore all things. He's the one who promises that one day, he will wipe away every tear. That's the God in whom we are called to trust Him with all of our heart. That's the choice we have. Trust in Him with all of our heart or lean on our own understanding. That is our God. And those who keep getting wiser 
trust in him with all of their heart, with all of their intellect, with all of their emotion, with all of their desires. They lean on him in all of who they are. Okay, but how do we know if we're doing this? How do, how do we know if we're actually trusting God in all these kinds of ways? How do we actually grow in that kind of trust, begin to develop that kind of trust? We've looked at those who keep getting wiser. They, they don't trust their own hearts. They continue um, to trust in God with all their hearts. And finally, those who keep getting wiser, they train their hearts to trust. You see, gaining wisdom is not just about trying harder. It is about training better. Because wisdom is about knowing a person. It's about knowing a someone. It's more about who you trust, not just what you know. And, and one of the litmus tests I'm increasingly seeing, truly one of the litmus tests for whether we are trusting in God with all of our hearts versus leaning on our own understanding, is the practice of prayer. Now, you may be a bit overwhelmed at this point. Isn't that like Bill's application? Like two out of three sermons, pray, read your Bible some more. But, but hear me out. Prayerlessness is often an indication that we really are still leaning on our own understanding. That when prayer isn't a vital part of our lives, it's often an indication that we are still trusting in our own wisdom. And this is particularly, maybe even uniquely difficult for us in our cultural moment because we have more information, money, opportunities in, in, in our culture in this moment than just about anyone in history ever has. I mean, think about it. It's a lot harder for us to sort of run out of our own resources. Technology, advanced medicine, there's a lot we can do before we have to come to the end of ourselves. They're all wonderful gifts. They're all things that make it a lot easier to continue to lean on our own understanding. I mean, how often do a guy get stuck in the midst of preparing a sermon and, and, and reach first for a commentary or to Google an article or to call a friend before stopping and, and praying to the one who actually inspired and wrote these words for help? Now, how many times do, do I promise treats or, or threaten to take away toys before I stop and pray and ask God for wisdom? How do I help my kids love and obey? Now, friends, we are addicts when it comes to leaning on our own understanding. We are addicts when it comes to trusting in our own wisdom. And the practice of prayer, the practice of, that's our AA meeting. It's the place where we go regularly to say, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm at the end of myself. I've got to trust in someone else. Instead of going to the bar of our own understanding, we need to go to, in prayer to the one who can deliver us for ourselves, who can make our path straight. But maybe you say, Bill, I don't, I don't really know how to pray. I get stuck in prayer. I don't know what to say. And that's a lifelong journey to learn how to pray. It's not something that happens overnight. But I would say if you do get stuck, you can't go wrong by kind of taking a, finding a Bible somewhere and, and opening it up to about the middle, maybe a little bit to the left, and, and find yourself in the book of Psalms. It's the prayer book of the Bible. 
And if you don't know what to pray, pray God's words back to him in Psalms. You can't go wrong by praying God's own words back to him. Let the Psalms teach you to pray. Let them give you a new vocabulary in prayer. And here's another thing I've been doing, uh, I don't know, maybe for six months to a year now, of how do I actually practically acknowledge God in all my ways? I never actually put it under this banner in my mind until thinking about the sermon, but I begin to pray through my calendar and my to-do list every day. And something I have to do anyway is look at what's on my agenda for the day, what's on my calendar, um, what are my tasks I'm going to try to get done today. Have you ever thought about turning your calendar and your to-do list into your prayer list each day? Say, God, be with me in this appointment. Help me in this meeting. I need to have a difficult conversation with my child's teacher. Or I'm taking my child to this particular sports event. Or I have this meeting that, whatever it is, just pray through each one of the items on your calendar each day. Look at your to-do list as a, as a prayer list. God, help me to accomplish these tasks. Help me to, to lean not on my own understanding in these things that you've called me to do. Your calendar and your to-do list can become a way of training your heart to trust in him, to lean on him. Those are apps on my phone that I go to multiple times a day. What if they were triggers for prayer to remind you not to lean on your own understanding? But as we finish, let me say this. All of the training in the world won't help a heart that's dead. Right? In the physical realm, if you're alive and your heart's beginning to have problems, you can, you can do something about it. You can train, you can exercise, you can change your diet, you can do something to strengthen your heart. But if your heart has died, no amount of running on the treadmill is going to help you at that point. And the same is true spiritually. We can only successfully train hearts that have been made alive. And the scriptures say in the, in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah that our hearts are sick, our hearts are dying. The heart, Jeremiah says, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But God promises us a new heart. And when we come to the point of, of abandoning, leaning on our own understanding, of abandoning, leaning on our own wisdom, when we come to the place of trusting him and him alone, new life begins to start to beat in our hearts. The arteries start to unblock. We find God's commandments, that they, they actually become our desires. We find that he's given us his spirit to, to empower us with grace, to trust in him and train with him, to obey, to delight in him. You see, Jesus took all of the sickness of our heart onto himself on the cross so that he could give us a new heart, one that trusts in him one that delights in him, a heart that leans on him completely. And so each and every week we express that trust as we come to receive communion. It's one of the great pictures, one of the great practices of trust. He said there's no room for, for pride in the communion line. That when you stand there waiting to receive communion, you are saying to yourself and to the world that I have come to the end of myself. 
that I've looked inside and there, I, there is nothing there that can rescue me. I, I cannot lean on my own understanding. I cannot trust my own heart. That I have to receive from someone outside of myself. That I have to put my hope, my trust in someone outside of myself. Communion is a constant reminder that we are giving ourselves over to another, that we have to receive from another.